entrepreneur. A movement designed for the purpose of achieving total wellness, spiritual and physical. Here's your host, Tommy. Welcome to Wellness Revolution. I'm your host, Tommy Lockwood, and I am here to discuss spiritual and physical aspects of well-being. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate your time. And today we have a very special individual as our guest. His name is Alan Pratt, and he has made a tremendous difference in his community by healing himself. His story is very interesting. And the episode itself is longer than the others, but for good reason. I'd like to introduce Alan in the proper way for you to understand his story and background. So, Alan received his Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Acting and Directing from FSU School of Theater in Tallahassee in 1981. Then Alan moved to New York City from 1983 to 2007, where he worked in film, TV stage, and also in event production, nightclubs, catering, and corporate team building. Now, I'm summarizing a little bit of Alan's biography, but in terms of mind-body spiritual training, the story that Alan has is very fascinating. So Alan and his partner were diagnosed with AIDS in 85. Alan's partner died in 86 and Alan experienced a miracle healing. Then he participated with the Big Tuesday Night Healing Circle in New York that grew out of Lewis Hay workshops and drew hundreds of people every week from the late 80s to the early 90s. Here, Alan learned many healing practices and received his first Reiki certification. Alan is usually 100% vegan and very, very green. He occasionally eats fish fish and eggs. He was a 100% raw vegan from 1999 to 2005. Has green juice fasted over 700 days since 1999. Has fasted up to 33 days straight. And in 2007, juice fasted a total of 100 days. Alan has written articles for the Hippocrates Institute produced and appeared at events with Dr. Gabriel Cousins and David Wolf, and has been a speaker at the Raw Spirit Festival in Sedona, Arizona, and the New Life Expo in New York City. Alan has studied and practiced many styles of yoga, including a stint in Eddie Stern's Ashtanga studio in Soho, New York City, and now channels a synthesis of yoga styles that changes and evolves daily. Alan was an active with land was active with Landmark Education from 1988 to 2002 as a participant assistant and team leader. Alan was never on staff, but his outstanding speaking led several forum and seminar leaders to invite Alan to go through the steps to become a landmark a landmark forum leader. Alan has participated in more than 50 ayahuasca ceremonies since 2003 and done two retreats in the Peruvian Amazon with Don Diego at Sachavacay and the Shipibo Indians at the Temple of the Way of Light out of Iquitos. 
Allen has toured the U.S. with more than 17,000 people in sound healing ceremonies and individual healing sessions and partnered with about a thousand healers and musicians practicing countless modalities and paths. And it's a pleasure to have you, Mr. Alan Pratt. How are you doing today? Welcome to Wellness Revolution. Thank you, Tommy. It's excellent to be here. It's a beautiful day and I'm feeling great. How are you? <laughs> I'm also feeling great. Having such an inspiration, you know, with me right now, it's it's quite honoring for me to uh, to be able to interview you and I really appreciate your time. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> so based on some of the work that you've done and being involved in the community in Miami, Florida, I know that you do a lot of touring, but here, from what I know, you've done your three-day cleanses in the community of Facebook, among other things that you do. So if you don't mind, before we go into the more spiritual aspects of your work, I'd like for you to talk about the three-day cleanse community and, and how that's impacted your life and why you share with others and how others have, have uh, been helped by your, your sense of community and the things that you've been able to bring forward. My pleasure. I was a food binger and a sugar addict and an alcoholic, and I struggled with these addictions for most of my young and early adult life. And I began trying to get sober in my late 20s, and I began trying to adopt a better diet when I was in college, but I failed over and over. Um, this was in the late 70s and early 80s, and I and I found um, I I found that over years and years of trying and failing, you know, you fall down, just get back up, fall down, get back up. Even if I'd go for years without trying again, I'd say, oh, no, I've got to try again because I knew that when I got myself to that lean, clean, and green a state that it just felt so good and so right, so clear in the head and so light in the body. So I, um, I'll tell you that at the age of 36, mediums and psychics started telling me that I was going to tour the world as a healer. And it made no sense to me because I was really in the depths of my um, addiction and depression at the time. And I was mildly suicidal, and that was when I got the, you know, the word from people. No, you're here to heal people, and I thought, oh. So at the age of 39, I really cleaned everything up and became 100% raw vegan, and I um, got sober, of course. And I, a year or two later, began engaging oh. in deep fasting and cleansing, which I had never done in my life until I was 40 years old. And then I did hundreds of days of fasting and cleansing and fell in love with the process because of the benefits that come from it. And so at the time, I was running a warehouse in Brooklyn that was an underground artist's warehouse and event space. And so I took on um, being a leader in the raw food community. I was 100% raw vegan for five years from the age of 39 to 44 or 45. And so during that time with that warehouse in Brooklyn, it just made sense. And it being New York City, I got very involved in the raw food scene and I uh, hosted events in my warehouse a lot and invited some of the better known authors and speakers um, to come uh, do events with us there. And so we began doing fasting programs there. And it was a five-day 
uh, juice cleanse every month. And then somewhere in the spring, we would do a spring cleanse of like 40 days, 20 days of the master cleanse of water and lemon juice and 20 days of green juice. And I would make it 30 days, 33 days. That was about the longest I ever made it. But I ended up falling in love with the whole fasting and cleansing and being lean and clean and green. And I've been that way ever since. I was I stopped being 100% uh, vegan or raw when I was about 45, 46, but I've continued being very green and doing a lot of cleansing and fasting. So a couple of years of leading programs in New York, then I moved to Florida in 2008 or back to Florida. I'm from West Palm Beach. I went to high school there. <clears throat> After 24 years in New York City, I decided to come back home to West Palm Beach. And the first thing I wanted to do was lead fasting programs. So I found a community center in Lake Worth, Florida, and began leading three or five day cleanses every month. Then, and then um, I began channeling spirit and became a healer. And that took my focus for the last nine years. But about four years ago, I said, no. I must make use of Facebook now and see if I can reach a greater number of people online and be of service to the community that way and keep spreading the good word. Um, so that's when I started the monthly three-day cleanse community on Facebook. And um, we've had up to maybe 150 people each month. And it's an online support group. We haven't had too many uh, in-person meetings. But in Miami, when I started this group several years ago, we did have a couple of live events. And Suja Juice sponsored those events and supplied juice for them. And um, so I'm, I'm, that's, that's kind of the history of me taking my personal experience around fasting and cleansing and bringing it to the community level. Yeah, that's quite fascinating. And I like how you bridge together your spiritual journey with uh, the fasting, because it is my experience, my experience, and the listeners know this, that uh, fasting has been part of my own healing journey. However, you know, in the previous episode, I talked about the connection between fasting and spirituality, how in, in my experience and maybe yours, uh, by doing lengthy fasts, I, you know, I recall having heightened dreams, having lucid dreams and, and just feeling a lot more connected to the subtle energies. Um, and I know that part of your work, or you know, I would say maybe the, the whole lot of your work is, is focused on spiritual. Am I correct? On, yes. the, on the spiritual aspects. Yes, I I am a spiritual healer now. I have uh, success with multiple forms of cancer and dozens of other kinds of illnesses, including severe brain injury and all these other things. And and so people are always asking, well, where do you think you get your uh, ability or strength or power from? And I I have. I got a couple of Reiki certificates back at the beginning, but I have not read many books or taken a lot of courses. What has worked for me is being clean and pure in the body and in my daily practice. So for me, the base, the foundation of my practice as a healer comes from being very clean in the body, meaning I don't put 
uh, synthetic chemical substances in my body. I don't drink alcohol or smoke cigarettes, or I don't drink coffee or sodas of any kind or energy drinks or anything like that. I'm very alkaline rather than acidic. I think this is a very important distinction to make for the listeners, that an alkaline body can transmit, I feel an alkaline body can transmit huge amounts of frequency easier than an acidic body. That's that's one way to say it. I feel that um, I am a purer host for spirit to move through me in an alkaline, uh, more vegan, clean body. Um, and also, I, I will make a comment about the spirits of animals that, that lives in the animal flesh and the suffering of animals. Um, I believe that trans furs into the human being when we, we, we take in their suffering and their pain, um, when we uh, unconsciously consume animal flesh. And so I think that makes an unclean inner environment in which to be a channel for spirit uh, to move through us to do healing work or psychic work, because I'm also a psychic. And I want to, that's why I want to be as clean in my body as possible. So I said earlier that I am not a 100% vegan. I do eat fish. And I will, I, I want to explain this for a moment for the listeners, because I was so adamant about being 100% vegan for many years. And I will acknowledge right now, this may not be your viewpoint at all, but if you're okay with this, I'm going to share it with you, okay? Yes, of course. Okay. Of course. So I was adamant about veganism and not eating any animal products. <clears throat> and after five years of being 100% raw vegan, I felt the desire for eating fish and for trying animal products again. And I kind of danced around with it. And I always felt, I felt some amount of guilt. And I was always in an inquiry each and every time. And I must say, I still am each and every time I eat fish, I'm still very conscious about it, that I'm eating this other animal. So I went through several years in between being a raw foodist and channeling spirit, where I kind of danced around with eating fish, eggs, goat cheese. And then when I began channeling spirit, I went through periods of being 100% vegan again, of being 100% raw vegan again, just to see what felt right, what felt most virtuous and honorable and truthful to me. And what I found as I began working with literally thousands of people doing healing events around the country, the more I worked with people and with their illnesses and their darkness are their energetic possession, because I deal with all of these things, I found that I had a very authentic desire for some kind of animal force to be, to consume some other animal force. And I'm almost embarrassed even saying that now, after the number of times I've been so, you know, 100% vegan and stood on the stump and, you know, been at festivals and talked about, you know, you can build muscles with kale, you know, you don't need any animal products. And so, <laughs> and so, what I finally had to uh, contend with or confront in my 50s is that as a light worker, I feel some amount of desire for animal protein. It's animal life force. It isn't the protein because I proved for many years you can build big muscles with, with, through greens, through all green leaves. That's what I used to lecture about in front of audiences. And then I had this other experience once I became a light worker where I thought, 
no, I now understand in a way that I didn't before this desire for some kind of life force. And so I've gotten it down over the years to where I only eat fish and then everything else is very, very green and mostly live. I do eat some cooked grain. So here's what spirit explained to me. Spirit said, and I just use the word spirit generally for the voices that are talking to me. And that's what I tell audience. They'll say, who are you, who are you talking about when you say they? And I'm, well, I, I don't know exactly. I don't necessarily know that any of us know exactly who's talking to us when we can't see them. I just say the world of spirit. But, you know, I've done a lot of excellent psychic readings and spoken in front of audiences where they all nod their heads. So I think the spirits that speak through me give me some pretty useful um, correct information. And what they explained to me was they said the animal nations have agreements here on the earth plane, or they are caught in situations that they don't want to be in, in. And this would be the case with cows and pigs and many of the larger mammals. You know, it's it's a it's a holocaust for them, literally. It is a holocaust. Yeah. This is what I get. So with the chickens, the chickens apparently said, take the eggs and leave our bodies alone. If you need the eggs, take them. And the fish nation has said, listen, you folks, you need something to get through what you're going through in this phase of evolution and the changes on the earth plane and the process of ascension. Um, and just the physical circumstances of a lot of people on the planet and the transition from going to being a, um, a meat-eating world to being a greener-eating world, they, the fish said, y'all need us, and we're going to go ahead and surrender ourselves, and it's part of our karmic destiny, so take us and don't be too worried about it. So this is the story that I got. And then the other thing that I ask myself is each time as I eat the fish, I go, does this feel right? And you know what? It does. So this is just the interesting point that I've reached at the age of almost 59. And I wanted to share this with you. Yeah, it's amazing to hear that feedback and that that experience that you've been having with uh, with these terms, because I know that a lot of folks that they get caught up in a in a list in a in a regiment and, and and they sort of lose the fluidity that life is you know i i personally have struggled with understanding why we consume other animals and and just the thought of it it's it's quite interesting to me i'm still trying to wrap wrap my head around that uh that concept of nature consuming other animals and how how that plays about however i do agree to the extent that you that you share about how uh you know i've i've even considered that in my in my experience i i went uh i would say vegan completely vegan no cheese no you know no no anything when i was 21 when i was 19 i started with vegetarianism and and just you know eating fish here and there that's how how i was able to transition with uh with, you know letting go of the heavier meats and you know eating the fish i would say that i've been thinking about it over over the course of these past few months and saying to myself you know if i found myself in a position in life where you know for my survival like if i had to you know hunt or something i would probably go for fish as my number one you know um i guess 
choice instead of like trying to hurt another mammal on the earth or, or something like that. I find that with what you're saying and what you're sharing to be, to have that truth, to have that, it does feel right. I, I would feel that the, the meat of, of a fish is much lighter. And, you know, I, I do suppose that we do have agreements when we come into this physical plane and that's getting more into the, you know, spiritual aspects of, of where we, where we live. And I, and I'm glad you say that because a lot of us get caught up in living like a list. You know, I know that my mentor, Dr. Sebi lived in and shared a food list, you know, the alkaline food list, uh, through his research, what he found was alkaline and many people don't know this, but he also ate fish once in a while, you know, and you know, he wasn't always eating out of his list. Exactly. You know? So that's, it's, it's just an interesting point to make that, you know, uh, life is very fluid and on the energetic point, I like how you explained it, which is, which is another one that I'd like to thank you for. I like the way that you explained energetically the way that fish is able to um, fulfill its contract with us, right? In a sense. Yeah. I've, when Sometimes when I've felt guilty while I'm eating a piece of fish, spirit has said, Alan, the fish is happy right now that you're making use of it and that it's nurturing and nourishing you. And I must say that when I was adamantly 100% vegan and adamantly 100% raw vegan, I would hear uh, or read about sort of Native American or indigenous traditions about honoring the animal, you know, different than our, uh, you know, our um, agro-farming agri culture, you know, our corporate, I don't know what you call it, our mass farming, you know, but you know, I'd hear about like the honoring of the animal and all that. And I'd think, wow. And something would always sound kind of right about it, but I'd kind of brush it to the side and go, no, 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 no. They, they shouldn't even be thinking that way. You should just never touch any of them. You know? And so, so it's, it's kind of nice that I've come around to a little less uh, rigidity in my, in my views about all of this. I still think the most important thing to tell people is being alkaline, more alkaline rather than acidic more hydrated rather than dehydrated. We are such a dehydrated society, getting live enzymes in us rather than so much cooked food, you know, being juicy uh, because we're just not a juicy culture, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. I, I would like to add, I was at my 40th high school reunion this past weekend. And I went to a high school in West Palm Beach, Florida, that was very affluent and very and ranked in one of the top schools academically in the state of Florida. So we came from mostly from families with money and we were intelligent kids. I am looking after the 10th, 20th, 30th and 40th high school reunions at how we were not educated or conditioned to be healthy and how our addictions have not been handled as a culture because I am seeing it in my affluent high school reunions. These people, went on, most of my friends went on to be pretty darn successful. Um, um, and I, I just looked at the uh, alcohol consumption and the coffee consumption and what was put on the buffet for the weekend, the, all the food that was served and all the booze that was drunk and I looked at how my friends are aging. God bless them. I love my friends. But 
I look and feel different than the vast majority of them. There were at least a, maybe a hundred of our graduates showed up for the 40th anniversary, uh, for, for our 40th reunion. And a few people, maybe just genetically, or some people are wildly healthy too and conscious and practicing some kind of similar path to what I'm doing. But I just saw, I saw that the effects of the acidity, the acidic standard American diet in my friends who are successful and intelligent and they've raised their kids and their kids I don't think know much better, you know, who are raising their kids. Some of my friends are grandparents now, you know, and the and I'm just watching not much change. I know little bits and pieces change here and there in some school systems and God bless people like Morgan Spurlock, you know, for making documentaries that'll change a school system here and there, but changing the big system on the whole this is what I'm committed to, is, is really changing the consciousness in our school systems and our corporate atmosphere, even in our nightclubs. You know, it, we've got to wake up and realize that, that alcohol and coffee and things like that are just pure acid and poison. Yeah, that's correct. I, I like to say that that's a big part of the issue in our society. It's not so much, I mean, the, the meat thing that we discussed earlier, like, of course, the cattle raising and all that has a big, you know, part in it. However, you know, the little things, you know, our bodies are made of 70% or more of, of only water. And yet, yet these substances like energy drinks, sodas, uh, you know, artificial juices. It's when, uh, when I started to, you know, become more conscious about my food, I became, you know, really sad realizing the difficulty in in getting pure stuff, pure substances, you know, like like real juices, real juices, real real water, you know, <laughs> real. Yeah, um, isn't it wild that you have to look yeah. at the water to see whether or not it's acidic or alkaline, or how pure and clean it is? Yeah, it's pretty bizarre, and and also there there are things that I would never think include beef, and like I remember a, a, a friend of mine offered me some some cupcakes from oh my goodness I, it was like a and i looked in the back and and i was seeing like oh let's see if i could eat it and this was when i was more loose in my vegetarian um, right. phase and i looked in there and it was like beef right. like why <laughs> why is there beef in sweets i don't understand it was just like it was just the most bizarre thing and um and 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 i that's why i i talk about consciousness too it's about being conscious you know, reading the labels, but more so than this, I'd like to know how how that's been able to to create a nice springboard for the spiritual practices that you offer the community, like your sound healing and and um, I know that we talked about how how you wanted to be a or want to be and are doing the best you can to remain as clean as possible as a vessel to to project pure energy, yes. right? healing energy. Well, um, a moment ago, I said uh, that I'm committed to transforming the mainstream uh, institutions, including the corporations, the schools, the nightclubs. Well, I was active in nightclubs in my 30s. I, was, uh, I worked in nightclubs in New York City. And again, I saw there, you know, how exciting everything looked at the beginning of Saturday nights at the 
at the Roxy. I was the head dancer at the Roxy in New York City, which was New York City's biggest Saturday night. It'd be like 4,000 people and I'd be up under a spotlight dancing and I'd think, wow, this is all so glamorous and exciting. And that was at the beginning of the evening, like my first dance set. You know, by my third dance set, I'd be looking at the crowd going, oh, I need to get out of here. You know, so after I became, just because of the toxicity, again, the booze and the, back then the cigarettes and all of that. And just the, and of course the use of drugs, you know, just a drug infested culture, the whole nightclub scene. And so I got away from all of that. Once I didn't work in it, I had no interest in going into it because of all of that. So then I became a healer and I kept getting the message from psychics and mediums, you know, you're supposed to do larger healing events, larger, larger. And I think, but people don't come to sound healings. You know, you get 30 people in a yoga studio. And then I thought, well, now, wait a minute. I grew up in the nightclub scene in New York City, and I saw how they do it. So how, what could I do and create it differently such that it's healthy? And so I created the Love Lounge in Berkeley, uh, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, just ran for about four months before I moved from California back to the East Coast. But we did a Saturday night party every Saturday night, and it was we had a dance floor and everything. It was in a nightclub, and we, there was, of course, no alcohol and no cigarettes or anything like that. Uh, but there was a raw vegan caterer, and it was—I mean, the food, like the best raw vegan cuisine in California that do, that does all the festivals. They had a booth in our nightclub, and we had a big sound healing, and we had massage tables out for people to give each other massages, and we had cuddle puddles, which isn't as popular on the East Coast as it is on the West Coast, but cuddle puddles are very popular in the festival scene on the West Coast. So we had cuddle puddles and a workshop area, and you know, so. It was literally like the conscious nightclub scene. And we would get up to 250 people. And people said, wow, you are creating the new paradigm for social gathering. And so the fact that we had, you know, fresh juices and raw food in a nightclub rather than, you know, the typical fare, um, that is, you, you asked, how, how do I sort of bring those two uh, parts of my path together since the, I was, I was all about preaching the green before I started channeling spirit. So now I brought them to, I, I brought the two together. This was four years ago, but I'm talking it up a lot with light workers around the East Coast. As I tour the East Coast, light workers will ask me, what am I supposed to do next? Am I supposed to, uh, you know, like tour, tour, or do I, do I open a place? And oh, I'll go, yes, you're supposed to open a place. And take a look at my take a look at a page on my website called Love Lounge because I want you to get an idea of what I did to bring the uh, people who haven't been turned on to these healthier ways into what seems like a mainstream environment, a nightclub scene, but give them the keys to the green kingdom. You know what I mean? Right. So that's how I'm bringing it together. That's one way for sure. That's amazing. Conscious events where where people can feel I you know safe, where people can feel um you know in a sense of community where the, the environment is clean. That's actually a very important point. I mean, I go out all the time and have to 
guard my nose at times with cigarettes and things like that. And I know that back then, um, I suppose when the times that you're talking about and when you, when you began all this, I know that it was much worse. So I really like that idea. And even now, um, Miami seems to lack that kind of culture. Hopefully we can bring that more and more to the forefront. I am having that conversation in Miami more than almost any other city because I've noticed this. And I've talked to other people who have attempted to do larger events and said it's a struggle to get a large groups to show up and to keep the purity of the gatherings. Uh, do you remember Spirit Ill? I don't think they're still doing events. Um, but Spirit Ill was an organization. Jared Krupnik. I know people who have tried to do larger events. And there's a, there is a beautiful space Oh, what is it called? It's in um, Wynwood, and it's got like two yoga rooms and the vegan cafe. I've live life wellness or something like that. Yeah, yes, I think I've seen it. They have like a yes, or it's either live life or love life wellness. That is the closest I've seen in Miami to like what would be what could easily be turned into the nightclub for us, you know, for the conscious, you know, um, <laughs> the green juice crowd. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I actually think that um what you're doing is amazing and and look forward to some of the work that you're that you're bringing earlier later this month, excuse me. And I know that you're coming back to Miami and 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 doing some events. I am. I am um I'm touring the East Coast, but Miami uh became my home base after I was on the news in 2015. Suddenly I had lots of clients and it is not easy to make it in the business of spiritual healing. So I was like, wow, I'm Miami's home for me now. That's when I really began zeroing in and looking at the wealth in Miami and actually seeing Miami as a spiritual capital of the world. Really? Yes. Now, bear with me here for a moment. I'll tell you why. Because Spirit explained all of this to me. Um, because I, that was, I was like, really, capital of the world? And they said, yes. They said, look at its geographic location between four continents, North America, South America, Europe, and Africa. It's very accessible to all four continents. Then they pointed out no, they said, which, where in this country is warm during the cold months? There is only one place that's warm in the whole country, not even Southern California. I've done it. Not that Southern California gets cold at night. Only, only Florida below Orlando is actually stays warm for the winter. So people who have, so world leaders and the rich and powerful, when they travel across the world and they're globe hopping, where do they pop in, in the United States? It's Miami is the most popular place. So then look at from a world view, what is the most glamorous city in the United States? It is not New York, which is exciting, but kind of ugly and loud and crowded and not very green. And there's not much, you don't get to the water very easily. It's not, LA's close, but not LA. It's actually Miami, if you look. From, from what other world glamorous capitals look like, like Dubai and other world capitals, most people would say Miami with all of its waterways and between Miami and Miami Beach and that big, beautiful bay and the lights at night, it's Miami and Miami Beach. Hmm. 
So when you start to look at it, and then they pointed out the historical and the nat, I would say the the element. I, they said one of the world's greatest wonders is right there, and it's the Everglades. And most of the world doesn't pay enough attention to it, but there's a reason most rankings consider the Everglades either number two in the list of the world's greatest wonders, always in the top 10, sometimes listed way high. So it's the Everglades. And then they said, what we don't understand is that as part of our evolution, in one phase of our evolution, we came out of the Everglades. Hmm. And I know that's not what we're normally told, but a lot of psychics told me I was going to get some interesting information to bring to the people that would not necessarily match what we were being told. And that's one of the things. And I've talked to a lot of other psychics in Miami since I got this, and they've said, yep, I can see it. So I think there's this huge energetic power in Miami. And so we need to have a number of things like a world spiritual healing holistic festival that happens there. We have some we have some powerful festivals, but not at that level. We need to have a huge one. You look at the things that are produced on Miami Beach, because I lived in South Beach for a year and I watched almost every other weekend. There was some massive festival. We need to match that for multicultural spirituality, tribal and holistic practices. Right. Like a really amazing festival that matches the food and wine festival and all these things that are, you know, 20,000 people or whatever they are. We need that for Miami because that's not the that's not the number one image people have of Miami around the world. It's about the glitz and the glamour and the material goods and all of that, fashion and all of that, wealth. And yet there's this massive spiritual scene that isn't quite seen publicly as much as it could be. Yeah, I actually want to, excuse me, I, I want to actually talk about a point that you made and and actually emphasize it. You um you spoke about Florida and and the wonder of it. I've I've come across some interesting information myself with this, and uh, I'm sure you you would be delighted to hear. Well, throughout my studies, I I actually focus in 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 religion and religion science, but throughout my coursework, I did take some geology, and it's the funny thing that that's uh, related to what you're saying is that in one of these courses that the professor mentioned in passing how the geology of Florida is very similar to Africa in in it's like you know the 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 conditions and 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 the the animal life the plant life some of that is resembled in Africa and my mentor Dr. Sebi really spoke highly about Florida and all these natural foods that are here all these uh all these curative um, antioxidants and and just healing plants that are available yeah. here in Florida grow wild, and they don't in any other place. I find that to be quite interesting in in relation to the information you just shared with us, because you know there is there is something special about Florida like that I haven't been able to to express it like you just did, but there is something very special about it. There is a tropical splendor here, and you do maybe need to look a little closely to see the magical herbs and plants that can heal and cure us that are here. 
but they are. And I'm not an expert on any of that kind of stuff. But I've done things like retreats in the Arizona desert with David Wolf when he was the king of the raw food scene. You know, we'd go on nature walks and point out what's in the desert that could heal us. And I know the same thing is true of this tropical region. Yeah, that's correct. I'd like to ask you going forward, um, what are your what are your your healing modalities like? What can you know? I know that I've seen. I mentioned that I saw your video and what you have on your YouTube page. Right. Um, and I'm just quite fascinated because, you know, I am, I am also a singer and, and I see the way that you're, ah, you're expressing your gotcha. singing voice. And, uh, you know, I see that you're the way that you're doing it. It's quite fascinating to me. So maybe the listeners don't know they haven't seen the video. I, would I like, will, I um, will explain. Of course. <laughs> I, most of the time, I am singing and speaking in what are called light languages or light code. And I understand these languages and songs that I don't really understand the sounds or words. Sometimes they're not even words. It's just sound coming out, almost like sound effects being made with my voice, like throat singing and things like that are happening through my voice. The languages I understand to come from either other dimensions that we exist in, other civilizations that we have lived in that predate our written histories and written languages, um, and uh, extraterrestrial races that are, I would say we come from many extraterrestrial races that are, quote, out there outside our atmosphere or sometimes inside our atmosphere. Um, I think we are those extraterrestrials. And I think sometimes we're, I'm singing or speaking in the languages of extraterrestrial races that we belong to. I think it could be a combination of all of that. And so that's the primary thing that I am using as a modality for healing. At the same time, my body moves very fluidly um, and none of this was taught to me. I didn't, quote, learn any of this. What I, what I did was allow it to develop naturally uh, through me by simply showing up and practicing the healing arts of being a healer. When I began, I did not have any of these abilities. I just was, I had a couple of Reiki trainings, and so I would put my hands over people uh, the way you see most people do energy healing work just with my palms facing people. And I think, well, I'll put my hands over here. I'll put my hands over here now. And then little by little, my body started moving on its own. My left hand first, I'm left-handed. My left hand started moving first. And then about a year later, my right hand started moving by itself. And I thought, wow, my hands are both moving. And then it became what I would call the temple dance, meaning that over time, my body, my whole body got into it. And then I realized that before hospitals and the Industrial Revolution and the advent of medical technology, people went to churches, and, and the way people were healed was sometimes by people sort of singing and dancing in front of them and praying. And I thought, well, this is what's happening to me, some version of that. And maybe a year into my uh, having this energy healing practice, my voice just started making little funny sounds. And I thought, oh, what's my voice making funny sounds? 
I'll give you an example right now. Rama iboruburshari tarukurveti darmansiria kiria narpurturu. Rada icharbo urburu inini kiria karia ardi uduru diarenandarki darita kupar derbi indarburja derba burba. So even my breathing and what sounds like exasperation or emotions coming through my voice, all of that is being channeled. That's an example of just what I do during a healing session or a healing event. And I, I, I could sing for you right now, but you've already heard a little bit of it. So all of that, apparently, not apparently, I'm, I'm, I'm observing over the years and with thousands of people, it moves them. It shakes stuff up inside them. It pulls darkness out of them. It pulls attached entities out of them. Uh, it, 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 it alters their body and brain chemistry. Not that I know this like as a scientifically, I don't know this. This is what other people who have tried to interpret what I and other healers are doing. This is what they say is happening. And of course, I have all these successes with different diseases. So um, I'm seeing that, you know, I'm trusting that it does something. And I'm looking at groups of people in the events. And most people go into an altered state. They experience heavy breathing. They purge energetically. People start coughing. People have emotional releases. They they have visions. They cry. They feel a lot. They roll around and moan. It's very intense for some people. And so I trust that those languages and those songs and the movement that my body does is all producing very positive results for people during these healing processes. Now, that said, I had a I had a major cancer miracle right off the bat at the beginning. I mean, the day after my hand started moving in May of 2009, a man came to me, a 57-year-old man came with throat and tongue cancer, and I didn't have any voices speaking through me. I wasn't singing anything, and I didn't have, quote, the temple dance going on. I just had sort of my left hand darting and jabbing, you know, in the air around his body. That's like a, that's my first YouTube video. You can find a YouTube video of me with a man on a table, and you can see some sort of bag and tubes attached to him, and my hands just darting all around his body. That's Jack Miller. He's the guy who's in that video clip you watched on the Maya, on Fox News Miami with me uh, six years after that healing, and nine years later he's still cancer free. But back then, at the beginning, when I had that cancer miracle with him, I didn't have this temple dance and these um, light codes that I was singing, none of it. I just did it by, uh, you know, saying, get out. Like in my mind, I kept saying, get out, get out. I'm like disease, get out of this man. So, um, and then I will add to this that in January of 2017, a year and a half ago, I was in Sarasota, Florida, and I got a call from my contact in Jacksonville who hosts me there. And she said, Alan, there's a young man in ICU in a hospital here in Jacksonville. There's been a terrible accident. His skull is partially crushed. There, he's in a medically induced coma. 
He, they've done a tracheotomy. They're going to do blood transfusions. Um, I think you can do something for him. And you can imagine how uh, daunting that sounded when I heard it. I thought, oh my goodness. And I said, but I got an immediate yes. I thought, yes, spirit said, yes, you can. And so I said, okay, let me figure this out. Let me figure out what I'm supposed to do. And so I got off the phone with her. And then I thought, well, this man, he's in a coma in a hospital in Jacksonville. He's not going to see me, hear me. I can't, you know, we're not going to put up the phone to him and me sing over the phone, anything like that. And so what I did was literally, I sat for two or three hours and very still, and I did what is called merging bodies with him. And I, even now as I'm saying this, I can feel the tingling on my skull. Every time I explain this, my skull starts tingling because that day when I did the healing, I could feel his body become my body and his skull become my skull. And I could feel tingling all over and things moving around in my skull for like a couple of hours. And all I did was pray and pray and pray and say his name over and over and over and imagine him being healed. And Tommy, the next day, that 26-year-old man got up out of that bed, woke up out of the coma in front of the doctors, got up, stood up, talked to them, and wrote down his address. You with me? Wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 100%. Right. That man, I did two more healings on that young man. He was out of the hospital in three weeks rather than six months. Six months was the projection if everything went right. He was out in three weeks, never went to rehab. All three sessions were the same way, praying and praying. The third one, my contact, she was like, Alan, they're going to put his skull back together in two hours. Can you do something right when they're doing it? She's an intuitive. She knows these kind of things. And I said, yes, ma'am. Sure. <laughs> yes. And boy, it, it all worked. So my point with all of this is to share that healing can happen so many ways. I speak in front of groups often, and I think a lot of people, they get uh, a, a bit um, uh, inhibited or, or um, I can't think of the right word, but you know, they, they see me doing like this opera and dancing around the room and all of this. And so I make it, I make it clear. I say, no, everybody doesn't have to do that. You know, you know, I know, Reiki masters in Miami who, you know, I'll do exchanges and they'll say, well, now I'm not going to do all that fancy stuff. And I'm like, I know, do your thing. And then they do their thing. And I will tell you, that's as strong as my thing. <laughs> you know, It's just their way. And it might be more subtle and a little quieter and, you know, a little more along the mainstream lines of what they were taught in particular modalities. So I respect the trainings that other healers receive. And there are healers who will take, who will learn one modality after another. I myself was guided not to do that. Once my hands started moving and my voice started moving, what I've been guided to do is sort of what I call the old Nike method, which is just do it. You just keep showing up and keep racking up the numbers and the experience. In the first year or two, I just offered free healing to hundreds of people and kept going to festivals, which does not pay healers usually, you know, to do a healing events at festivals. You're, you're just wanting to reach as many people as possible and get the experience and, and, and make the connections and get some visibility. So I would just give it away, give it away, give it away for years. 
And I think that's how I developed my ability. And that's and people look now and they're like, where did you learn to sing all of that? And I'm like, uh, it just comes out of you. And I will say I have met hundreds of people around the country, whether they're professional healers or passionately practicing it, but not professionally, or what or people will, young people. I've had 18-year-olds walk into healing events and festivals, and they see my body going, and they walk right up and just match me. They let it come right out of them. And I am humbled over and over. And they're not faking, and they're not faking it. You can tell when it's real. And the people, let they just let it come through their bodies, or they let it come through their voices. It happens during the healing transmissions. That's when it really hits people, and it just starts flowing through them. And I just say, let it flow, because I think most people have the ability in them. Yeah, it's quite beautiful. It's quite beautiful to know that. Uh, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, okay, good, good. So it's quite beautiful to hear the understanding that healing can occur in so many different ways. I loved that story that you told. And um, I really appreciate that you were able to share it with such passion and understanding. And um, I have come across so many different modalities of healing myself. And I also understand as much as I love and appreciate the herbs and, and the diet, there are so many instances that people talk about and share that you just can't explain. I, I know that right. I, I'm saying this to even add to what you're saying. There was a lady uh, who's now a published author by Hay House. Her name is Anita Morgiani. I, I'm pretty sure you've heard of her. If not, I'll just tell you that she had cancer and she crossed over. And during the the event that took place in her life, she was told by spirit that how she manifested her cancer and as ridiculous as it sounds, she, she understood that if she went back into her body, she could heal herself. And within a couple of weeks, she, she reversed the deadly cancer that was taking over her body without, you know, without necessarily taking herbs or or going to a sound healing session, she did it all with her spirit. Right. And and not only does it baffle scientists in the <laughs> in the community, but it baffled a person like me, an herbalist. Or but I am also aware of the spiritual power that exists and resides. So when you when you speak about your events and being being able to share your healing intent and your prayer, that's powerful. Well, and you're sharing your your gift as well. Thank you. And you're actually reminding me now that when you first contacted me about interviewing me, what you asked me about was how I survived AIDS in my 20s, which we have not spoken about during this conversation. But like Anita Murjani, like Anita, I had a very similar experience. I was 25 when my partner and I were diagnosed He was diagnosed with AIDS. I was diagnosed with AIDS-related complex, which was the diagnosis they were giving people at the time who had everything other than the pneumonia and the cancer, the Kaposi sarcoma, that was killing everybody in the beginning of the AIDS crisis. I had all the other symptoms, and it was pretty extreme, the amount of weight that I'd lost, 
the uh, uh, lower T-cell count, the night sweats, the uh, swollen glands, uh, just all of it. And, and also I had, had been very intimate with my partner and he had full-blown AIDS. And so he was 32 and I was 25. He died within a year. And I, uh, but when he died, I had three spots of the cancer on my spine. So um, I knew that I had full-blown AIDS at that time. And I was, um, I could hardly walk up a flight of stairs and I was 26. And I just remember thinking, no, no, I will not go this way. And I would, I would, I would classify what I did as praying, but I would qualify that by saying that I was raised with Christian religion early in my life, but then we were Unitarian, and then I just sort of know religion by the time I was in college, so I did not consider myself a religious person. I did not pray much, so that was not my my mindset or my, my uh, way of doing things, and yet when I was faced with this uh, terminal illness, I I very much did just say I I like looked up at the sky and said no I have something to do here I don't know what but I know it's important and I and I'm not going to go this way I will learn my lessons I know I've got lessons to learn but I will learn them some other way and I'm going to get well from this disease and I and I'll do everything that I know I'm supposed to do I thought you're supposed to cut out stress and eat healthier and probably not drink alcohol. And I kind of did all of those things. But now when people ask me, what was your protocol, you know, to like to beat HIV? I'm like, I can't tell them, well, oh, I, I, um, you know, I kind of ate healthier and stopped drinking alcohol and, you know, you Mm -hmm. know, no, and and got rid of stress. No, because a lot of people try to, I would say I had a real, uh, uh, I would say the angels saved me. I would say spirit saved me. It was a true spiritual healing, and that's all it was. All the other things come way second. I had a, like, spirit saved my ass to do something with my life. Wow. Yes. So I, I feel like I've had that good old fat. I'm, and I didn't used to tell this as a healer. And then people were like, Alan, you've had a classic healing. You have to tell people that. You know, and I didn't get that that was sort of a a component of how some people become healers. They are healed from some life-threatening illness. Yeah, that's correct. Um, A lot of uh, classic stories of of medicine men and women in Africa and South America come from them overcoming some strange illness. Absolutely. Explained you. Absolutely. And now I will hearken back to the beginning of our conversation where I said that in my mid-30s, I was at the height of my alcoholism, food addiction, sugar binging, and mildly suicidal. So I would now like to note that by the age of 28, having having thought from the age of 25 that I would not see the age of 30, by the age of 28, I had, I, I had no trace of any kind of illness and noticed that by the time I was in my early 30s, um, that was not enough to keep me from diving way deep into my addictions. Even though I had been saved from AIDS, I still fell in my early 30s deep into food, sugar, and alcohol addiction. And so it's just, I, I look at that 
as myself as a reflection of our society and how how sick our society is because uh, it was so hard for me to get well and I think it's hard for everybody to to get well from these from our basic addictions that we are that we're just weaned you know in our school systems and our family lives uh, but that's back to the original part of the conversation we've said all of that so well I think it's important uh, we're reflections of this greater society we're reflections of uh, the planet. I often thought myself as well when I began in my healing journey as a reflection of the earth, you know, uh, wanting to heal and wanting to cleanse and purify. And, you know, when I went through my long periods of fasting, I was, you know, just completely heartbroken by the the way that the world was and and feeling that I had to go through this like period of of of, of self-discipline, you know, and understanding that if this is the way that I'm cleansing, then the earth is also cleansing itself and, and, in its way. And, you know, it does that with its, with its weather, uh, I guess, modulations. And it, it does have, it, it is a conscious being. That's something that I've come across with my own, my own understanding and my own teachings that were passed down to me as well. And also the plant medicine work that I've done uh, which I know that we have we haven't touched Let's upon. Let's talk about that right now. <laughs> we have three minutes. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Let's talk about yes. plant medicine. I strongly, strongly believe in working with all kinds of plant medicines, although I have only worked with a few. I have done 60 ayahuasca ceremonies. I've been to the Amazon twice. I feel that it was important that I became very clean in my body, and then ayahuasca was introduced to me. I became a 100% raw vegan at 39, and magically, at about the age of 41, somebody mentioned ayahuasca to me, and I had lived in New York already for 15 years and been around tribes and spiritual stuff, but it didn't really come to me until my body was clean, and then I was ready to receive it and find ayahuasca ceremonies to be truly some of the most extraordinary experiences I've ever had, and I, that I think any human being could have. I've also worked with DMT 15 or 20 times. I, I uh, very much appreciate um, uh, marijuana as a regular use medicine, and I definitely classify it as a medicine even if it is used daily with a conscious with with the if the rest of your daily practice is conscious and uh i fail to stick with the word conscious and healthy <clears throat> then i find plant medicine use to be healthy too uh and also psilocybin mushrooms um i've, I've worked with many times and didn't appreciate them spiritually uh, in my 20s when I was first introduced to them the way I do now with such a clean body and a strong spiritual path, I now find plant medicine uh, like mushrooms to be wildly powerful, visionary, transformational, yeah. uh, knowledge coming to you, just extraordinary experiences. So that's what I say about it. And I like how you put it with uh, the understanding that you have to have a clean body to to be able to really obtain their information. I, I find that to, for myself, I was able to uh, fully embrace ayahuasca and, 
and these medicines came to me as a result of me having gone through my purification process, you know, yes, it's different. It's different to have, uh, like you say, to have conscious practices and then you can do things like these medicines more consciously where, whereas a lot of folks they're doing things unconsciously and then they take these medicines, um, loosely and they don't respect them. I, I find that the, the, the level of respect that I've learned through ceremony, through ayahuasca. Ceremony. Have, very important yes. to, to acknowledge that, that ayahuasca exactly. and most plant medicines are all, almost always ought to be done in, uh, to be experienced in ceremony with tribe and uh, skilled facilitators. And I want to comment, since your, your audience is primarily Miami-based, is that accurate? Well, they're all over the world. They are, <laughs> but yeah, but yes. Our home base. I just want to say, you know, it's it's um, it's uh, wonderful how many shamans uh, from South America hold ceremony between Miami and, say, Jupiter. The whole, but that the whole area, and really, actually, all over South Florida, uh, because it is the gateway to the United States, where for shamans to travel from South America. And the practice in the community is so powerful in the Miami area for people who think, oh, I have to go to the Amazon to experience this. Well, that's a that's as an as a as an excellent ideal. And it is powerful to be in the in the most powerful uh, rainforests to experience plant medicine. However, in there, there's extraordinary experiences happening in people's backyards and yoga studios and healing centers around the country because our society is waking up to the power of plant medicine. A hundred percent. And I think that, uh, you've, you just touch upon so many amazing points, uh, in regards to that. I, I feel like this, uh, episode has been such a great introductory to the intro introduction to the work that you do. And, and I'm really glad you've taken the time to share your experiences, your stories, and your points of views. Um, I would love to have you on again, maybe to talk about um, more of these topics in a more, uh, I say, focused manner. You know, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to, able to get the overview of your story. And I'm sure there's so much more to talk about. Would you love to share some closing words, some closing statements for the audience and where they can find you? Mm. Yes. Uh, thank you for inviting me to do this interview, Tommy. Uh, blessings to everyone who's listened to this interview and much love. And you can check me out at alanpratt.net, A-L-A-N-P-R-A-T-T.net. And we didn't touch on these topics during this conversation, but Spirit's saying, deep, silent meditation that a lot of the listeners listening to this interview need to meditate daily, and that if it doesn't come easily, then go do a Vipassana meditation or another kind of long meditation retreat, because that is, that's just, I'm just going to go with that, because that's the last thing Spirit showed me and saying, say that to the folks who are listening right now, long, deep meditation and a bit of daily meditation. All right, my friends, have a beautiful, beautiful day. Much, much love. Here's to your health. 
<laughs> thank you so much thank you so much for taking the time alan i really appreciate everything you've shared and for the listeners thank you so much and we will catch you on the next episode much love and light namaste hugs and a hope thank you for listening to wellness revolution our purpose is to get you one step closer to wellness sovereignty with your host tommy lockward